Good morning. Thank you all for the chance to be able to speak here. I am incredibly nervous and totally not prepared at all for this, but I'm excited to be here. At least it's amongst people that I am familiar with and that I would classify as an extended family for me. Uh, ever since I got out of recovery, this place has welcomed me since the very first day. Um, yeah. So, Joe, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit this morning. What you were talking about in your prayer focus is actually what my message is going to be based on. <laughs> He did. He did. It worked out perfect. So actually, I'm okay with that. Um, well, I suppose let's get started. So a friend of mine recently asked, can you live by the word without being in the word? And I told him what I thought to be true. And to me, that's no. Uh, it made me think of when I went to Fargo to run a marathon with some friends. And one of my buddies said to me this, this weekend, we're going to find you a girl. And you're going to have fun. And instantly, I looked at him and I said, no, I have no intention of doing that. And I made a covenant with God that I would wait on his timing for the partner he provided for me. His response was simple, and he said, the Lord knows our flesh and understands that we will sin, so it's okay to enjoy ourselves, but in the end, this man was a very good friend of mine and someone that I thought to be very faithful, but in the end, he chose to only try and live by the word of God without knowing it. When we choose to do this, we will speak justification for our sins because the person who would justify their actions are weak, so therefore it's okay, and ultimately God will forgive us, so he will just let it go. Uh, though this is true to an extent, he is forgiving and he gives grace. When we willingly sin to just sin, we are driving a wedge between us and God. This is an example of what is called apostasy, uh, which in the Greek means to fall away. Uh, to quote my fire Bible uh, that has a lot of subnotes on different Greek terms, this term literally means standing away from God, and it relates to spiritual rebellion and abandonment, withdrawal, or turning away from what one has previously believed and experienced in a relationship with Christ. This is one of the many risks of just trying to live by the Word and not knowing it. Any spiritual awakenings you've had with Christ, God, or the Holy Spirit will simply just become justification for how you wish to act. Um, just real quick to touch on that, too. Like, God does have forgiveness for us. And when we sin, you can seek forgiveness, but this is called repentance. There's a very firm difference between repentance and justification just to be able to keep sinning. Repentance is a total turning away. It's when your heart decides, I've had enough and I no longer want more. And you completely have a change throughout all of who you are and what you want for yourself. But if you just keep continuing to sin, that repentance is null. It, it no longer exists. You're just sinning just to sin, just to enjoy yourself. And at that point, that forgiveness kind of just goes away. It, it, it's still there for you, but your willful actions to do this kind of makes you blind to that forgiveness. The same thing can be said for those that only seek to know the Bible and not live it. This can lead to legalism or a sense of self-righteousness. One can say we find ourselves acting as a Pharisee and will judge those that have sinned with condemnation and not love. An example of this is not from my own personal life, but from the Bible. Uh, from the Bible would be the woman that was caught in adultery that was going to be stoned in John chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. 
So what do you say? This was a test to see how Jesus would react. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He gave a very proper response. They sought only to punish out of common knowledge or just or common knowledge of just simply knowing what the word said and tradition. So they felt the need to condemn this woman. Like the Pharisees, a person who is stuck in a sense of legalism through just knowing the word and only sees the sins of others and not their own personal sins. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in yours? Matthew 7.3. We can know the scriptures and try to uphold a sense of righteousness, but can be misguided, even arrogant. Plus, let us not forget, even the demons know the scripture. We cannot live in accordance with God and his word without knowing and living his word together. But most of all, we can't know Jesus without both of these. So why do I bring this up? What does it have to do with my sermon today? My sermon today is going to be based on the scripture Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Also, I have a very uh, 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 big issue of staring out amongst people, so I probably will likely be staring at my screen the whole time. <laughs> In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it reads, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does will do will of yeah, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This scripture is what keeps me humble. Ever since the day I read it, it's always been something that's affected me emotionally and deep down, simply just because of the factor that when I die, I don't want to have to Jesus look at me when I come to the gate and say, I never knew you. That would be a soul-crushing statement for me because at that point it basically said that even though I was a Christian, I didn't do what was necessary to get to know my Lord. It's also kind of like a sense of righteous fear um, to be able to be in that aspect with him. It's, it's kind of what holds you in tangent with what you need to do. Uh, in the scripture, when Jesus says, I never knew you, it is translated from the Greek term epigonosko. In the Greek, we see three commonly used words for know or knew, which are oida, gnosko, and epigonosko. Joe kind of touched on this, but without getting into the Greek this morning. That's why I say he stole my thunder a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oida is to know in just the passing by or just simply having heard of. It's not a very personal understanding of someone or something. Uh, typically, this was actually how people were with Jesus even back in that time. They might have had heard the miracles, but most of them were so stuck in, uh, in the law that they didn't really care to know the man, so it was just more or less hearsay. Um, and it's even nowadays, this is typically how it is, especially with still translating different Bibles and being able to reach out into countries. Uh, Gnosko is having met or known on a level of an acquaintance or a friend. It's a little bit more personal. This would be the typical standard church gathering when you come in and you see everybody on a Sunday. Like, you know that person, you've come to realize who they are, and you've built somewhat of a relationship, but you don't truly have that deep, in-depth relationship. Epigonosco is an intimate form of the word no. This is the relationship of a husband and wife, parent and child, sibling or best friends. That is why Jesus uses epigonosco in the scripture. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. One of, as the Bible has said many times, a groom and his bride. He wants, to know, he wants us to know him in the same manner, 
And this is where what I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon comes into play. A vast majority of Christians nowadays tend to be on either side of the spectrum. Either they live by the word but don't know the word, or they know the word and they don't live by it. Often we hear of people who had loved God and Christ but had but have fallen victim to their own self-righteousness or the temptation of the world around us. And let's be honest, in our world it's very easy. Look at the transgenderism, look at politics, look at all these things where they basically want you to have self-guided by your own personal opinion. They want you to submit to whatever the world around you has for you. It's very difficult to keep this sense of morality and choosing which direction to go. Some examples are of a pastor who watches porn or the one who has an affair or immoral relations with a congregation member. Also, we often see denominations who have fallen into the sense of legalism and would only seek to speak damning, condemning messages to the congregation to provide an unrighteous sense of guilt and self-hatred. As a congregation member myself, I, even I struggle with lustful relationships and want to talk with my Tuesday night to provide for me. Uh, it's often something that I talk with my Tuesday night group and also with people around me because it's a struggle of the flesh. It is a very real thing, and it's hard to deal with sometimes. Um, I've also been in a congregation where the pastor has spoke condemning messages and honestly has told me that my salvation is contingent on things that weren't biblical or that I will always be a sinner and there's no hope, so just give up today because you're damned. These examples can likewise be true for us congregation members in the aspect that we can act in the same manner. We fall short of the glory of God and forget the purpose of our faith in following Christ to be in a relationship with Christ. Uh, the most recent example I have of this was I went on Facebook and got passed, uh, well, got redone recently. A friend of mine went on Facebook and commented on this woman's comment about how abortion is her choice, and he said, you're a baby killer, you're a murderer, you're damned to hell. As a Christian, that's not our job to say that. We aren't the ones that are supposed to cast that judgment. We are supposed to come alongside people and love on them in the aspect of what Jesus would do. It's, it's just hypocrisy when you go and treat somebody that way. So how do we fix the problem? When we find ourselves slipping into either side of these issues, the greatest example for this are given to us in his word. First, we'll look at Moses. Uh, and this is just one of many examples of different prophets that have done so. Uh, there's Jeremiah, Isaiah, multiple ones, but I like to lean in on Moses for this one. He was always in the presence of God. Granted, he was literally standing in the presence of God daily, but what we can learn from him is to listen and receive what God has for us. This was something that he was doing continuously every day while he was in the presence of God, was he was receiving constantly. And very rarely was he ever speaking back unless there was an issue amongst the camp. We can bear this to our prayer lives. Often when we pray, we are sending requests to God, asking for things, sending praises, which is one of the greatest things about prayer. And to be able to ask for requests for healings, miracles in our families, and also just to be able to praise him like you did this morning for your mom. Like, it's, it's the greatest blessing of prayer. Originally, you used to have to go to a tent and make a sacrifice and hope that God would receive you. Now we can just simply speak to him like he's one of us. God wants to be given the opportunity to provide for us and to listen to us, but sometimes we should be doing the same thing. In your quiet time, just sit in the presence of God. Have an open mind, heart, and spirit, and just marinate in his presence. 
A teacher of mine would often talk about putting an empty chair in his, in, I lost my spot, in his room with him and acting as though Jesus was sitting there and would talk with him. And likewise, he would close his eyes and visualize Jesus sitting there talking back to him. This is probably one of the greatest pieces of advice that I've ever been given. Like, find your favorite chair, clear the clutter off of it, and literally look and see Jesus in that spot and just have communication with him. Uh, it helps out drastically, especially as a person who struggles with prayer. Sometimes there was never a word said or heard. It was just simply to be in the presence of Jesus through a mental visual aid. Also, our prayer lives should never just stop after the initial morning prayer. Prayer throughout the day leaves you the opportunity to receive from God at any given point in the day. I do this at work. A lot of sermons in my head get built at work. Granted, they sound better in my head, and when I actually come to speak them, it tends to fall a little short, uh, especially when I get nervous and I talk about 1,000 miles per hour. But again, back to my teacher. He would tell stories about being in mid-conversation with someone and telling them to be quiet so he could receive a word from the God. This man, he was a Haitian man, so of course he was very, very uh, over-enthusiastic. He loved Jesus, and he would be in mid-conversation with someone. He'd say, hold up. The Lord is talking to me. I need to speak with him. And he just cut him off. He wouldn't even care. Um, granted, this would make you look like a crazy person, and for some of us at least, and it's not really necessary. But it's merely just an example of how we should always just maintain a form of prayer life, even as the day goes on. Prayer is a very good connection with Jesus, with God, and through his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit dwells in us and connects ours directly to him. This link is made available. We should utilize it in our prayer lives. It'll strengthen your bond with Christ to keep you in his word and living through him. Another example we can learn, one of my favorites, is the example of King David in worship in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We see David dancing in his linens and undergarment through the streets in worship to the Lord with the ark. Now, before we get too far into that, if I find out any of you have been arrested because you went dancing through town in your undergarments, first, I'm not going to claim it as my fault, and I'm just going to look the other way. And second, don't take this too literal. Like... As fun as it sounds, it definitely is not suggested. David's psalms are also a great example of worship. If you would rather express yourself through writing or singing, as some of the psalms were meant to be in song format. Worship is a powerful tool when it comes to being connected with God. It allows us to express our love to God in various ways. One of my favorite things about Heritage Church is from time to time they do worship nights where you just sit and sing for an hour or two. There's no message... There's nobody going up to speak and interrupt. It's just music the whole time to allow you to express yourself through music. And this also allows for you to be in the presence of the Spirit. As an AG pastor and as AG associated, we're very heavily emphasized on, this holy, on the Holy Spirit, which is good because the Spirit is probably our greatest connection with God. This is always, there's always someone dancing. Sometimes there are those that are writing what they're feeling in these times of worship. Even in times of trouble where things look hopeless, worship is a great way to change our mood. We can look at the Apostle Paul for this example. Even Paul and Silas, while they were locked up in prison, began to sing praises and prayed to the Lord. All in all, this is a great way to connect with God in a different way and provide closeness. It, it, and, it's, and it's fun. Like, 
If you enjoy singing, sing. Sing to the Lord. If you enjoy dancing and you have some spare time, dance in your kitchen while you're making dinner. Dance for the Lord. Myself, I'm a writer, and I really enjoy doing lamentations. Uh, I'm a very emotional person. I've struggled with depression and just different emotions throughout my entire life. So writing for me is my, my closeness to God. It's something that I just really enjoy. So finding a form of worship that would be able to maintain that connection in a way that's enjoyable for you. Another way and probably the most vital is being in the Word. Growing in the knowledge of God and putting it into play in our lives is God and His Spirit and understanding of how so long as we balance it out with communication with God and His Spirit and understanding of how to put it into action. As Joe was saying, we can read the Bible and it becomes something that's knowledgeable for us, but honestly, that's all it is, is just knowledge. You have to be wanting to put into action with God and His Spirit and asking God, how do you want me to understand this? How do you want me to live this in my life? A pastor friend of mine always says, if you want to show people what God is doing in your life through His Word, be an example and do not preach to Him. This is also another very key thing, especially as somebody that has only been in the faith for five years. I don't like going and just ranting and raving and preaching at people. I would much rather just be able to uphold it in the image that I have. Even as a long-time Christian, this is still something that should be necessary. There are times when it's okay to preach and to talk to people, but the biggest thing that gets to people is seeing the example of what a real Christian looks like, the fruit of the spirits, or the fruit of the spirit. If they can see that in you, they can see the transformation, they can see that this person is genuine, that they're actually trying to change themselves and living a right life for Christ. This gives the Holy Spirit a way to preach to them through us and how we uphold ourselves based on what we gain from his word. Being an example and operating in the spirit will keep us from being legalistic because at this point, we are basically saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Talking to God about his word and leaning in on him for understanding of it will further our growth with him. After all, it's history on his story. Every story, poem, song, parable, lamentation, proverb, and law in the word of God is about God and his character. His dislikes, his likes, what he loves, what he hates. Everything in this book is about God. And for those that want to further your understanding, there are concordances and well-written documentaries on the scriptures to provide a deeper understanding. Plus, every time we reread it, we always inevitably find something we missed before or can connect it with something we read about elsewhere in the Bible to further deepening our understanding of God. As we've been going through Jeremiah and the 20s life group, this has been something that I've seen numerous times. There's so much prophetic things in there about Christ. And as I've now read through the full Bible, I'm always linking something and just being baffled by the extraordinary character of God and the factor of something that happened hundreds of years before Christ came is right there about Christ. And it just makes a person want to grow to know him and to yearn to be with him. And of course, remaining in the Holy Spirit during this to keep you from being legalistic or just knowledgeable is essential. You want to be able to use the word to your advantage in your life with Christ. As we put to practice these three things, prayer, communication, prayer and communication with God, worship and being in his word, we will grow in relationship with God. We will learn about the character of Christ and grow in his spirit. Always keep in mind that we will never be perfect. 
There was only one man who was ever truly perfect, and he died so that we could live and strive to be like him. We were never called to be perfect, just to be like him. The only way to do this is to know and to know his word and live it. I confused myself. To know his word and live it. And realize that, well, I realize that I didn't really cover what it looks like to live out his word. But that comes with time and continuing to pursue him. To be honest, I myself don't fully understand. But when it, yeah, but what I do is just try to do my best. And I stay in his word for advice on what to do. Proverbs. A proverb of a day will help you gain so much knowledge in just your regular life. Uh, it's something that I realized in Teen Challenge. There's literally a proverb for each day of the month. There's 31 proverbs. You can easily do one every single day. Oh. I myself don't fully... Oh, I read through that. My bad. I guess, honestly, the best way to live it is to just strive to be better every day by being like the character of Christ. Essentially, what I'm trying to get with this is like, the biggest thing that God wants for us, that Jesus wants for us, is to know him and to be a part of him. You can't simply just know the word of God and not live it, or live the word of God and not know it, and expect Christ to say, I knew you, welcome to heaven. That's just not how it is. We've seen examples throughout the Bible, and even today in different churches and denominations and pastors that have attempted to do this, and many have fallen short. Granted, we don't know what happens when they get to heaven. Maybe they got accepted in, and it's all just a big overpress of an idea that isn't necessary. But in my heart, it's something that I feel is necessary. Every time I read that scripture and I hear Jesus in my head say, but I never knew you, typically it makes me want to cry. I'm in front of people, so I probably won't cry. But in my own private time, I bawl my eyes out because it's just something that I genuinely fear for in my life is to have never known Jesus. We need to be able to have that balance between both. I understand I kind of went through things a little quick. I'm a little nervous today. But that's pretty much all that I got for this sermon. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer, and then if the worship team wants to come up, that'd be awesome. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to be able to do this and providing me with the words to be able to speak today. Thank you for helping me get through this and keeping my anxieties at bay as well. I would just pray a blessing for everybody in here as they go about their Sundays as for safe travels home through this slushy snow that you threw at us out of nowhere. And also just that their week would be able to progress along and that uh, we would be able just to come to know you and be with you. And that everybody here would be able to strive to be in your word and in your spirit and being able to be connected with you in a relationship that is that of the Epigonosco, a personal, intimate relationship. Just pray a blessing to everybody today. In Jesus' name, amen.